Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to another episode of Talk Water. It's August, almost the end of summer and it's back to school season here in Ireland. For most parts, things have been quiet, but something's happening in the news lately that's caught my attention. We've all heard of the fires raging across the world's largest tropical rainforest. Currently, the Amazon is a carbon sink. However, increased deforestation could cause the Amazon to become a source of carbon dioxide instead of a sink. Instead of preserving the planet from the effects of global warming, then the Amazon could begin harming the planet by emitting larger amounts of carbon dioxide and contributing to climate change. But elsewhere in the world, we're seeing examples of how climate change is having impact on people's lives. One example of this is If you want to enjoy the last bit of warm weather, why not enjoy it with a fine glass of crisp vodka made from Northern Californian fog? That's right. For those who haven't heard, Fog Point Vodka is a mix of water harvested from San Francisco fog and vodka distilled from local California wine. Now, as many of you know, water is a pretty coveted commodity in California, having just emerged from several years of drought. So... Hangar One Distillery decided to experiment with a more sustainable option by trying to squeeze out water out of San Francisco's fog. Now, of course, extracting water literally out of thin air does take a bit of engineering, which is why fog in a bottle isn't cheap. Each bottle currently retails at $125, making it a pretty expensive bottle of vodka. However, the topic of atmospheric water capture is an interesting one. One that we think is likely to have the most impact in areas where water scarcity issues are on the rise, such as New Delhi, Manila, Mexico and Johannesburg, where water capture could be an alternative to bottled water or water trucks. And at Bluetech, we're currently doing a horizon scan on atmospheric water capture technologies to examine the competitive landscape. And I think technologies and applications such as this are lighting the way, so to speak, in terms of addressing the challenges of climate change, water scarcity and pollution. While I bet the weather phenomenon never tasted so good, if you want to drink your vodka for cheap, we don't blame you. Right, enough of me for now. Over to this month's content. This month, I catch up with Paula Callahan, CEO of Bluetech, to talk about water scarcity issues and industrial water challenges in India. Then I speak to Reese Owen on research areas Bluetech have been focusing on for the past month. So, Join me in the first half of the podcast to find out more about what's happening in India. We have online with us Paula Callahan, CEO of Blue Tech Research. Paul, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. You recently visited India to understand how people are dealing with water scarcity and industrial water challenges. And India is a country that's recently been in the news for the work it's doing in water. And the newly re-elected government is expected to prioritize drinking water in the next five years. And The water ministry is tasked with achieving ambitious water targets like river cleaning and providing access to safe and clean drinking water. You in particular visited the city of Chennai, which is the sixth biggest city in India. And we're seeing now a year after Cape Town, Chennai has been in the news as it's almost entirely run out of water, declaring itself as having hit day zero. And Chennai was a city that went through devastating floods back in 2015 and you know cost hundreds of people their lives and displaced so many people from their homes but how is it that we find a flood prone city of today out of water it's a paradox yeah right it's an enigma and water is full of puzzles like that paradoxes and it's not unique to chennai 
Um, Mexico mm. City is the exact same. They're constantly wrestling between flood and water scarcity, and it's like a pendulum. It swings in one direction, then it swings back in the other direction again. So really, if you peel back the layers of the Chennai story, it's quite a lot about water management, mm -hmm. or lack of water management, and lack of water planning. Mm -hmm. So they do get a lot of rain, um, meters of it, in theory, more than they need. Mm -hmm. Over time, one of the problems that they've had is as they develop the land, they haven't maintained the wetlands or certain habitats which can capture, store that water and allow it to seep into the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly part of the story there. And it's a part of the solution as well. Yeah, no, fascinating. And I mean, as you say, it's home to 10 million residents uh, and, and water intensive industries like the textile sector and agriculture. What's the current situation on ground? Are we seeing people continuing to desperately uh, draw water from, from wells or wait in line for hours? Or are we seeing some sort of change? People do still queue for water yeah. from tankers, and we saw that for sure, mm -hmm. particularly in the poorer parts of the city. Yeah. Now, it will improve over the next number of weeks as the rains start to come and uh, replenish the aquifers again. But they certainly went many weeks, if not months, in yeah. a pretty desperate situation. Now, there are pockets of the city that were a bit more resilient to that, and we went to visit one. It was the Akshaya Adora apartment complex and we met with some residents there, uh, Gita and her husband Arun, and they showed us around into their apartment and how the whole complex worked. And it was fascinating yeah. because the apartment complex owner, he said that his vision for this complex was that not one drop of water would leave his apartment complex. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty ambitious yeah, goal. Yeah, very visionary, yeah. Very, very. And he could <laughs> kind of foresee that they didn't want to be queuing for tankers. And actually yeah. for two years, not a single tanker came to their site. <laughs> which is amazing. How do they do it? Well, they capture all of the rainwater that falls in the site, step number one. In fact, the morning we were there, it had rained. And we saw people <laughs> sweeping the rainwater into the rainwater capture drains. And that really, to me, was like a visual metaphor for the value of water. You're literally sweeping up the rain yeah. um, and capturing every drop of it. And that soaks into the ground and helps to keep mm -hmm. the wells replenished. Mm -hmm. Then all of the wastewater is treated on site yeah. as well. And then they use that for irrigating around the property but of course that gets filtered as it goes down through the soil and that also helps to replenish the groundwater as well yeah so it's it will be indirect potable water reuse even though they don't call it that yeah and then <laughs> they have a borehole well as well and they extract from there which is topped up by rainwater and topped up by the indirect potable water reuse and then that goes through an on-site drinking water treatment plant mm -hmm. as well so they really created a little island yes. for themselves. And of course, they're really focused on leak detection as well. They carefully monitor every apartment, they listen for leaks, and they get on top of that problem really quick as soon as it arises. So really, all those measures are together. Yeah. And Fascinating, because in, in, in our world at Bluetech, we would call this decentralized treatment. And it seems like they're already practicing it, but perhaps not calling it that. Yeah, they're, they're not bogged down with the buzzwords. Yeah. I mean, if I'd asked them, are you practicing decentralized water management? They'd have, <laughs> you know, they'd have glazed over, but they are. Yeah. And they're doing it all, not because in, they're doing it out of necessity. Yeah. Which is fascinating. And if they shift in that direction, one apartment complex in a city of 10 million people, and then if you imagine that being replicated by necessity mm -hmm. and it becomes the norm, you can start to see how that global shift starts to happen. Starts to happen, definitely. And at the same time with 
with the issues that we're seeing on the drinking water side, the water that is available is becoming more polluted and dumping untreated sewage into lakes is common practice in Chennai. And even back in 2011, water issues were so um, high that the local, that the High Court in Tamil Nadu basically shut down 60 textile plants um, due to environmental concerns. So in the last eight years, when you, when you visited there, do you see a difference or can you still tell what colours are in fashion from the colour of the river? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is interesting that it was the case. Where we visited was Tirupur, yeah. which is a real centre for textile manufacturing, um, cotton in particular. Mm -hmm. They often call it, I think, the Little Japan, because it's so industrious and so productive. <laughs> and you know, textiles is the second largest employer in India after agriculture. Yeah. And what we saw was that when that came to a head back mm -hmm. in 2011, at that point in time, the rivers were coloured, groundwater was tainted and the farmer they were poisoning the land effectively when they tried to irrigate it right and the textile mill owners they had to figure out a way to get out of this mm -hmm. and there was nobody they could turn to for a guidebook there was no roadmap yeah. they reached out to international suppliers the likes of DuPont and others and said do you have a membrane that can do this and everyone kind of had to figure it out a little bit mm -hmm. as they were going along so they really were pioneers but where they've got to and mm -hmm. this was fascinating to see 90% of all the water needs in the textile plants that we visited, and there was like a centralized treatment plant for 12 textile plants. Right. So they, it was a kind of cooperative 12 that came yeah. together. 90% of the water needs are met through recycled water. Yeah, yeah, so they're not taking any water from the river. Yeah. Beyond that, they also recover the salt. Mm -hmm. Salt is needed for dyeing, and that was one of the problems with the discharges. Mm -hmm. So now they can recover the salt, and they send all the salt back to be reused for dyeing over and over again. And to see it from start to finish, heavily coloured, dark blue water at the start of that process and then going through biological treatment, ultrafiltration, reverse osmosis, oxidation, zero liquid discharge technology, yeah. using falling film evaporators. And to see how clean that water was when it came out the other end was absolutely fascinating. It was like watching yeah. you know, technological alchemy. And seeing groundwater levels rise up again is certainly goes against the norm. Yeah, I mean, the, the river is actually improving. Yeah. You could see there was wildlife in that river now. It's not perfect, mm -hmm. but it's definitely going the right direction. And yes, the groundwater table is actually rising, which is bucking the trend. Yeah. So if everybody became an Akshaya Adora, or everybody were able to employ what these 12 textile mills were doing Turpur and what L'Oreal and others are doing at their factories as well, you really start to address the 20% of water consumption, which is industrial, yeah. plus the quality issue. And also you move towards addressing the water scarcity issue and the message in that story is that every little thing you do makes a difference yeah. and if we feel helpless we'll do nothing yeah. but no it's a, we're, we're going to be continuing to track such innovative and truly inspirational stories and uh, we'll report this to our clients as and when we come across them but thanks very much for your time paul yeah super thanks divya thank you on to our next piece with Reese Owen, our editor-in-chief, with the latest updates from Bluetech Research. Reese, welcome. Take us through some of the things Bluetech have been looking at in the last month or so. Hi, Divya. Okay, so this month we published our latest report on ultra-pure water. Uh, this is uh, an update of our Insight report, which is on ultra-pure water for the semiconductor industry specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, and our tag expert, Slava Liebman, has updated this um, from our 2016 report with uh, what's changed in the industry since then over the last four years and uh, the, what has changed is there's been a surge in demand for microprocessors to power the objects and, and the machines that run our daily lives these days the uh, self-driving cars the 5g networks the 
high-profile dent- data centers. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this means is not only an increased demand for the volume of ultra-pure water, but an ever-increasing complexity of manufacture, which means the definition of what is ultra-pure is in effect being shifted. So the most advanced manufacturing facilities uh, creating these microchips are now working with materials that are as small as seven nanometers, meaning that the water must be free of impurities above 3.5 nanometers. Mm -hmm. And to put that in perspective, uh, in scale, a sheet of paper is around 100,000 nanometers thick. So this is way beyond any current online metrology to monitor these systems in place. So the industry is uh, facing some unique challenges, um, uh, not least the fact that many uh, facilities are situated in areas of water stress. So reuse is becoming uh, more of a theme too. So that's our report there. We also have John Vale, uh, another Blue Tech tag who specializes in produced water. And John has been looking at a major report from the US Groundwater Protection Council. And it sets out uh, policy practices and research needs in the industry in the US. It's very supportive of reusing produced water within the oil and gas industry. But the report has unexpectedly come out as being much more conservative and cautious when it comes to reuse for other applications. It doesn't discourage it, but it does recommend an extremely detailed approach to risk assessment, which we think might depress slightly uh, moves to use produced water outside the industry. We also have a company report on Canadian digital water firm Imagine. It has a software solution uh, called Harvey, which combines past data with uh, online sensing from sensors and artificial intelligence algorithms to recommend actions and optimize the system. The company, uh, in fact, claims that expense savings of 20 to 30% can be achieved just by plugging the system into a uh, a typical network. Now, there is definitely potential for real savings. Uh, We'll be watching this company and this section of the market very closely as uh, most of the real high returns from this kind of digital water offering will come from full automation. And that's something that utilities have been reluctant to embrace up till now. So we'll be watching very closely how that develops. We've also updated our market data on thermal hydrolysis with an updated S-curve, installation maps and market share analysis. And our lighthouse projects this month include uh, Dutch company Aqua Minerals. It's a very interesting circular economy example where uh, calcite pellets from drinking water plants are harvested and then reused, uh, among many other applications to make a beauty product, in this case uh, knives, circular face scrub. So uh, yeah, a very mixed uh, and varied bag this month on the, on the research side. Absolutely. I think good, good focus on technologies like thermal hydrolysis and the uh, focus on imaging as well. Um, but also good to see um, focusing us focusing on markets, so specifically the semiconductor industry, oil and gas space. Imaging is an interesting company, Reese. I mean, it's a good segue onto upcoming reports, I suppose. We're looking into artificial intelligence in particular in more detail, particularly aspects of artificial intelligence such as asset performance management and optimization of unit operations on site. That's right, we've got uh, a report on that coming out uh, later in in the fall. Uh, We're also looking at electrocoagulation, um, Mm -hmm. a detailed horizon scan of the technology offerings available from the most innovative companies. Uh, We are going to be looking at atmospheric water capture, uh, which is something that's not uh, a huge 
part of the water industry but is being used increasingly in various scenarios uh, to conserve water and as part of a circular economy effort. We're looking at industrial reuse, particularly textile uh, wastewater. And we'll also be at the annual Water Reuse Symposium um, on the uh, 8th to the, the 11th of September, and we'll be reporting mm -hmm. from there. So that's just a few of the uh, research pieces that are coming up over the next two or three months. Excellent. Thanks very much for the update, Rhys. No worries. Thanks, Thank you. Me. With that, I'd like to wrap this month's episode. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next month with more content. Until then, stay tuned.